Everybody and welcome to another episode of Tales from the Doghouse Separation Anxiety Explained. I am Stacey Bell from the U.S. at Focused Fun, and with me today is Hello, hello. I'm Ness Jones. I'm in Australia, and I am from Separation Anxiety in Dogs Decoders. And there's me, Sarah McLaren from Separation Anxiety Solutions in the U.K. And oh my word, if we've got a doozy for you tonight, Yoo-hoo! we have a fabulous, wonderful, marvellous guest, the wonderful, marvellous Hannah Capon from Canine Arthritis Management, or CAM for short, that's C for Charlie, A for Apple, M for Mother, CAM. So Hannah's a small animal vet and the founder of CAM, um, and she's going to talk to us today about pain, about pain management, about arthritis, about how that affects your dogs in training and what we can do to help them, how to spot it and hopefully how to approach your vet when you think you might have some pain um, and what to say to them when you go. So I am going to introduce Hannah. So Hannah, if you would very kindly say hello to all our lovely listeners and tell us a little bit about yourself and how CAM started. Well, hello. It's very nice to be I was trying my posh voice then. It didn't work very well. Did it? Very nice. <laughs> Straight back into Essex. Um, so I am Hannah and I am a vet of 20 years. Um, I hope that I don't have a white coat effect. I really, really don't want that at all. But I basically got a little bit obsessed about arthritis in 2011, 2012, when suddenly uh, like 100 light bulbs went off about how we manage this disease and I can remember the day really really clearly I was working for a practice in Brighton and um, on the diary so you have a computer-based diary and you can see a description of what you're going to see for each appointment and I could look at my afternoon consults and there was two back-to-back dog gone off back legs and for some reason that day out of the 11 years before I just like that's ridiculous you know what is going on in that that's not a diagnosis and why are we seeing them when they get to that point that they they can't walk anymore and it up until that point I think we'd I think like everybody I'd accepted it was just the course of life that's that's what happens dogs keep going until they cannot go anymore and their back legs go and we then carry them in and then we send them on their last journey and um this, the first dog was brought in and it was a black Labrador and um, his coat was shiny, his teeth was amazing clean, his heart was functional and lovely and I couldn't find anything wrong in the abdomen and there was no muscle mass over those back legs. And I was like, wait a minute, this is this has gone on for months, years, years that this dog has coped until he now longer can cope anymore. And, you know, I, I want to pull on your heartstrings. I want you to go on this journey with me where you go, oh my God, this dog has tried to be with its owners for months, if not years, with a lack of function, pain, just desperate to be part of the family. And he's eventually said, I just can't do it anymore. And, you know, oh, the tears, they almost come now, you know, because I just sit there thinking, this is, this happens all the time. And then to have another one 
immediately afterwards. It was just back to back. And it was almost like this massive epiphany went off for me of, we need to be doing more about this. This isn't, this isn't acceptable. You know, people think dogs die of heart disease and they die of cancer. And actually the leading cause of euthanasia is musculoskeletal disease. And people hmm. don't, they don't talk about it. It's because it's, it's okay for them to go off their back legs. Can't, we can't nature this is just what's happened to them and it's actually so far from the truth there's so much that we can do so having had that minor breakdown <laughs> in practice of oh, this is not acceptable I um I kind of started talking to my colleagues about it and it's I don't blame them but they did, they hadn't had the light bulbs and I was like okay so this is a bit strange I feel really compelled to do more about this and I, um, I started experimenting with combining veterinary understanding and bringing in some um, allied skills, so canine massage, behavior, um, exercise management, nutrition, weight control. And I actually started a little mobile service um, in my free time. So I started off doing it free of charge, which is a lot of people, but I just didn't know whether it was going to work. So I tried to find these little um, people that were willing for me to come and help them in their own home and it was incredible the results that you could get by actually trying to help people read their dog better change the lifestyle get the weight under control stop doing the activities that are going to exacerbate the disease get them to understand how the dog expresses pain so we can get better pain control and these dogs were getting years years longer and I then started thinking to myself well, actually, a lot of the advice that I give, I could give online. It doesn't have to be that dog. There's a there's a pattern here that I can repeat again and again. So mm. I set up a Facebook page. And do you remember the program Through the Keyhole? Do you remember that guy? Yeah. Goes, okay, let's go through the keyhole. Whose house is this? That's what the Facebook <laughs> page started like. Um, it started off with me doing video clips, going through people's houses and taking photos of obstacles that, are likely to lead to further injury. So dogs with arthritis have less physical capabilities. They're more prone to accidents. Accidents lead to harm. Harm exacerbates the disease. They just debilitate themselves. So, you know, putting the rug down, getting rid of the hoover that's in the hallway that they're gonna trip over, put the children's shoes away, put the Lego away, stop them slipping on the patio decking, maybe put a baby gate up. You know, all these sorts of things are so easy to do. And I was like, well, this is information I can give away for free. I'm totally cool. Fit in with Royal College um, guidelines. I'm not medicating. I'm not prescribing. I'm not diagnosing. I'm just giving free information. And it just went nuts. And I was, <laughs> I was just like, oh, oh, this is interesting. And um, because there was a public want for it, I, it kind of drove me to then create the website. And it's just snowballed from there. We we started in what 2013, I think the page started, and by 2017 I had some volunteers. By 2018 we had structure. We we're on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, got the website, got the shop. We do practice training, owner training, allied professional training, consultancy. It just went nuts. And um, don't get me wrong, it's been it's been hard work, hmm. but it's amazing to know that things are changing in my life, you know? And what's wonderful is that we are giving owners the tools to see 
and be able to do something and they can go to their vet and go you know that thing arthritis my dog i think i've got it and i i, I want to be the best dog. what can you offer me and vets are now going oh, engaged clients wonderful <laughs> So it's um yeah I'm 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 really pleased of where we're at I won't I won't lie it's it's easy it's it's tough <laughs> but um, we're seeing change and that's what's really important to me. That's fantastic. You know, it used to be the accepted accepted norm that when a dog got to a certain age that they'd fall over. You know, particularly um, certain dogs. You know, like Labradors and German Shepherds and things. It was always like it was the back legs that went before anything. And Should I take you on the journey? Should I take you on the journey from the dog's perspective? And then you can start oh, thinking, yeah. this is not acceptable. No. So it starts off with focal pain. Okay, so there's going to be some pain that's emanating from a joint. Let's, let's, let's use, use the classic example of the hips, okay? So this dog, like, oh, my hips are just a little bit sore. <laughs> just a little bit sore, especially when I overdo it. You know, they really, really don't like this at all. But the rest of the time, I'm, I'm kind of okay. You know, if I rest, it's okay it's only when I use my hips it's sore okay so I'm just gonna I'm just not gonna do so much because it actually hurts to do a lot um and actually when I am doing stuff I'm gonna throw my weight forward my shoulders into my neck and that's that's where I can get my ability to keep up with the family and my owner and have the life you know so actually do you know what a few months in oh my neck hurts and my shoulders really hurt and my back and you know what actually I'm going to throw some weight back into my hips because this is hurting at the front end. And oh, actually that hurts too. So I'm actually now hurting everywhere. And even when I'm laying down, it's pretty sore. You know, it's not just when I use my hips now, it's all the time. And I, I just don't want to be part of the family anymore because if they touch me, it might hurt. You know, if they bump into me and I have to move unexpectedly, that hurts. So I'd rather just stay on my own. I'm going to just sit over here. And do you know what? Actually... I can't be bothered. I, I, I'm, I'm not mentally engaged. You know what? Life's a bit dull. I'm, I'm, I'm dull. I, I feel dull. I'm just not bothering anymore. And, you know, being with you isn't fun. I don't want to be with you. And actually, don't be with me because it hurts when you do what you do to me. So I'd rather be on my own. Oh, my God. Is that just the most awful journey in life? You've yeah, ever sad. It's horrendous. It's horrendous. And they get to the point that they, it's so painful and they, they lose neuromuscular capabilities. So not only do they struggle with the discomfort, their limbs lose muscle mass, it lose neuromuscular function. So they, they place their foot, but it might be slightly off angle. They place it and they actually haven't got the strength to put the weight on it. Somebody bumps into them and they can't quickly adapt to that bump. They can't cope. They're trying to walk down the steps and they have the ability to kind of you know, like readjust themselves when they slip because they're losing function and they're mm. painful and they don't really want to engage. What a horrible way to go. It's mm. not what the way I want to go, that's for sure. It's not the way I want to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yes. yeah, personally, I hope everybody that's just gone on that journey has gone, oh, my God, I feel so we can do more about this. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the, the big misconceptions that I've seen just with my clients is that only old dogs get arthritis. So talk to us <laughs> about that. I can see my face now. <laughs> I know. Talk to us about that. 
No, and it is, it's such a misconception in that we extrapolate what's happening in the human world. And in the human world, it is totally understandable that we're going to have um, primary osteoarthritis, which is a, a sort of like wear and tear. You see, it's going to be symmetrical. It comes with age. And we almost like accept it as it's a household name. Oh, you know, my, my grand's 70. She's got osteoarthritis in her hands and her hips. And so we instantly translate that into dogs and assume it's just a disease of the older dog. It's so far from the truth. So the leading cause of osteoarthritis in dogs is um, developmental disease. So hip dysplasia, elbow dysplasia, osteochondrosis, patellar luxation, angular limb deformities, all of these conditions are setting up these joints to fail and they will fail early. And the things, you know, in my, my short lifetime, I've seen a six month old Labrador that's got hips that look like a 10 year olds, you know, it's, yeah need to understand that the etiology of this disease is different and we are seeing this disease present itself way earlier in life behavioral capability posture there's subtle things that they're doing to enable themselves to continue with their life at a freaking young age and then we have a dormancy maybe a few years and then it comes back and bites again when they have serious dysfunction, serious pain. So I'm really keen to work with you guys because you're going to see, see these dogs that have unexpected behaviors at a younger age that need looking into. You know, mm. why is this dog behaving, should we say irrationally, you know, you know, why have they developed something like separation anxiety? You know, I've, I've done everything properly. My last dog never behaved like this when left alone. What is going on to drive this insecurity and this, this you know, anxiety? And I think a key thing people need to think about is, is this pain? Is there pain? Mm. I have a client. Have I have a client that um, has a dash hound, um, fairly young dog. I forget how old it is off the top of my head. And she sends video and I'm like, your dog is limping on its front right leg. Oh, sorry, left leg. And she's taken, and so she's taken it to the vet two or three times now. And the vet said, oh no, there's nothing wrong. And I'm looking at the video going, that dog is clearly limping. Um, yeah. Not, not exactly. Has she taken a video? Though. Yeah. 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 I'll Has she video. taken? Yeah. Yeah. Has she taken the video to the vet though? Uh, that I am not 100% sure. I think so she has, that actually. That, yeah. Has she? Oh, I'm not sure. I'll have to check. Do yeah, check I, because I, we're, in a, we're in a world where we've got digital capability, like beyond ever, ever known before. And what I would love is for owners to see it from a vet perspective of they've got 10 to 15 minutes in a box room with no air because <laughs> these rooms are horrible. There's yes. a table room. They're supposed to collect data. They're supposed to examine. They're supposed to converse, explain, educate, prescribe. 10 minutes. Wow. So what we could do is go, well, I'm going to collect the relevant data. I'm going to have in short morsels of 20 second clips of the relevant point. That I'm going to send it in beforehand. That vet can go, okay, so this is the problem list. This is what they're observing brilliant i feel in a different position because that dog will not behave the same in clinic mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah i actually also have a client that um has a rescue and when he gets up it's that 
pulling himself up by the front, you know, like how they do. And then also when he walks, his sometimes one of his back feet, I don't know how to describe it, will kind of like flip so he's on his knuckles. And he yeah, won't, so that's proprioceptive like, deficits. That's not cool. Right, right. So I'll, like I, I said, take this video clip and bring it to your vet. Like, and, and that will show them everything that they need to know to, yeah. you know, to get him some help because, um, because of that link that we're talking about between separation anxiety and behavior anxiety, prolonged chronic anxiety and behavior and pain and all of that, like mixed up together. It's, it's, mm. I just think, I think, um, I think people need to understand the power of the brain. The brain is incredible and in a stressful situation such as a consult room right the neurochemicals that are firing then are seriously going to inhibit um, messages of pain so they're going to be like this is a strange environment that's a strange person my owner's stressed i'm stressed the floor's horrible you know oh my god this is a horrible place to be are they going to be able to express pain that's the last thing on their agenda so then this poor vet's kind of going i can't find anything wrong with this dog and the last thing this owner is going to want me to do is prescribe something for something that's not there right so that's like hmm, this is really tricky you know i want to do the right thing i'm um, sorry this is foz foz is making a noise in the background sorry about him he's <laughs> <laughs> going to want to do is prescribe a medication that 95% of the times is brilliant, but it could cause diarrhea. It could cause vomiting. For something that the owner isn't sure is there, the vet isn't sure that they've seen, you wouldn't do it, would you? So you need to take your data when the dog is in their most comfortable environment. Excellent. Mm. Sorry, I am totally blunt tonight, aren't I? Well, no, I mean, and, and that's what I tell my clients too, because because of exactly what you're talking about. I mean, a lot of times in addition to all of that, the dog is tense. And so, you know, the vet has that tricky, you know, are you tense because you're guarding, you know, against pain when I'm touching you? Or are you tense because you're anxious and being in my room? Are you tense because, you know, there's a lot of explanations about why a dog might be tense out of that. And so it, it does really, really help if, if people can uh, bring that video and we are I mean we are in such a unique uh, position as separation anxiety trainers because we see so much video of so many dogs and so you know I think that's a, a real educating ourselves on what to look for you know what is a normal gait what are some common expressions or movements that might indicate that the dog is uncomfortable. I mean, that's something that we, it's a really big value added to our clients. So on that note, talk to us about what are the kind of big red flags that you see as far as how dogs move or maybe some behaviors that they might exhibit that would kind of indicate to people that they should be digging a, a bit deeper. Okay, so I try and keep it super simple because I am actually very, very simple myself. <laughs> We have this diagram and it's called the CAM factor. Cause I don't know, do you have the X factor out there? You know, when they go, oh, factor. And yeah, they're like, yeah, yeah. oh, X factor. So we kind of go 45 degrees. Let's change it to the CAM factor. Um, <laughs> so just imagine a cross in front of you. So just a, a plus sign. 
At the top of the plus is behavior change. On the right hand side is posture change. On the bottom is physical change. And on the right hand side is capability and gait change. And the key word here that you've heard four times is change. Mm-hmm. So what we try to do is get people to look at their dog's behavior, physical and, and, and functional self. And if you're seeing changes within these and mo- multiple areas, this could be a big indicator that we're heading towards a chronic pain state. So if you want to see it visually, if you go to caninearthritis.co.uk, and if you go to downloads and resources, it's called the Suspicion of Chronic Pain PDF. And we created it because there's always really difficult communication between maybe the, the therapist or the behaviorist or the trainer and the owner, but then also between the therapist or the owner and the vet, or it might be between the vet and the owner. And we created this diagram and it's, it's, it's the crisscross, the cam factor, and there's three little um, dotted lines under each heading. So people can go, what are you seeing in the behavior section, in the posture section, in the physical section? And they all point to chronic pain. So it gives that owner the understanding that all of the things that they're seeing could have a underlying pain component. So let's go and investigate. We need to have a clinical examination. And if we find something, we need to investigate it further. So um, there is not, I'd I'd love to say, okay, when your dog licks its left paw, it means pain. It's seriously not that precise. And if you're seeing a dog that has gone from being extremely um, close to the family and they like to sit on the sofa with you and they want to be engaged with, they want to be ruffled and they love their heads being stroked and they suddenly start choosing to be distant, change. Well, you might have a dog that's always been really distant and has done its own thing and been very independent and starts wanting to be very near the family. Mm-hmm. So there's, they're so diverse. It's, it's, it's hard to kind of say, this is a classic sign. And I really want people to step away from expecting lame. Lameness is often one of the last signs that there's a problem if that makes sense, because Mm. dogs are incredible at coping. They're incredible Mm -hmm. at trying to put a stiff upper lip, you know, the English stiff upper lip. And um, they'll show us in much more subtle ways. And when they start limping, I would worry that that's a little bit of a late sign, to be honest. Foz is making a lot of noise. Can you hear it? Fine. Yeah, he's right. A little bit, but it's not distracting. It's fine. You sure? Should I have a dog podcast? (laughs) Let me throw him some biscuits. You carry on talking. Let's go in. He's he's a big Briard. He's eight years old, nine years old. He's got such attitude. I just terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I think he knows that I'm actually chatting to you, and he knows that his tail's wagging. He knows he's just. He's like, come on, come on. Um, while um Hannah's going to feed him biscuits, I'm just looking at the um the website and the downloads and resources on there, and there are a lot of downloads and resources to look at um if you want to find out whether your dog's got any pain. There's the dog owner's checklist, a chronic pain indicator chart, um, observation form, good day, bad day diary arthritis booklet, household hazards booklet, managing your arthritic dog, reassessment tool, home assessment checklist, it goes on. Wow, so, comprehensive. I mean, obviously, 
Oh, it is a com- very comprehensive list. So obviously we'll um, put the link to the website in the show notes so you can go and have a look. But the downloads and resources is at the bottom of the website. It's one of the smaller links, but there's a lot on there to go and have a look at. Exciting news, we're rebuilding the website. It's, be... it's a fab website already. Do you know what? An 18-year-old boy did that. Wow. <laughs> can we borrow him? <laughs> I didn't have any money. I was like proper skin tone um, trying to bring this all together. And um, I found this 18-year-old genius. And wow. um, yeah, he, he pulled that together. But yeah, it's been rebuilt. So. Hannah, I know we're a dog podcast, but just out of what you were saying about, you know, when you see them limping, that's kind of like might be one of the last indicators. So we should be looking at, you know, the other things first. Cats are even more stoic than dogs in terms of hiding pain. That must be even harder to diagnose. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned this. (laughs) (laughs) um, It's on on the CAM agenda is to become FAM. Um, Felinearthritis.co.uk because... it's horrendous. It's if we think it's bad in dogs, it's horrendous in cats. Studies mm. where ninety percent of cats of all ages have radiographic evidence of joint changes. You know, eighty percent of cats over the age of twelve have clinical signs of osteoarthritis. It's it's wow. horrendous. But because the cats sleep for about forty percent of the time anyway, so when they become painful, they sleep for fifty percent, sixty percent, seventy percent. People are like, oh, he's just, you know, he's more homely now. He's just getting old. No. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, 100% cats. If, if any of you is like a fairy godfather that's listening and just wants to throw me a wadge of cash, we can do family <laughs> quite quickly. <laughs> and it, yeah. it, it would be perfect. Leave away. But, yeah, so cats is totally on the agenda. They definitely need more attention. So for anybody that's listening, I'm house-sitting at the moment in Cornwall. And um, so we've got Foz over in the corner, who's the big, like, nine-year-old Briard who's whining. And then we've got Luna, who's the princess, Border Collie, who's three, who is my constant companion. And because Foz is making a noise and she knows that I'm a little bit agitated, I think she's taking it upon herself (laughs) in this situation. No. I'm just Luna. No, you don't need to. <laughs> You're like, I've got this covered. Got it covered. Okay, Luna. Yeah. So, Hannah, we, um, as you know, we do separation anxiety um, in dogs. Have, as a, a vet in your in your um, career, have you struck many dogs where you feel that perhaps it's related to arthritic pain? Can you talk us through that? Yeah. Well. I always try and step away from anecdote because anecdote is like the worst form of evidence. So let's let's go to what we're seeing in the, in the world. And um, there's an amazing paper that I think all of you guys should read. It's, it was released in 2020. Um, it's in a free of charge um, access journal called Animals, and it's um, pain related behaviour. And they they approached a number of clinical behaviourists around the world in different referral centers and you know what is underlying your um, behavioral changes that you're seeing these deleterious behaviors that people are coming to you with and anywhere between 28 and 82 percent of their workload had an underlying pain component and the behaviors could be diverse so it might be separation anxiety but it might be aggression but the the behaviors 
when they drilled down and they went back and they were looking at what drives this, what is the underlying factor? Pain was a massive component. Wow. And I think we see this a lot. And, you know, this is why collecting data as Nona, you know, have a diary, collect the video clips, fill in the questionnaire. There's a questionnaire on our website. Go to your vet and give them a, give them a fighting chance of bringing the pieces of the puzzle together. But yes, um, pain-related behavioral change is huge. But think about it, it's so logical. Like at the moment, I've got a shoulder issue, maybe. I don't know what's going on there. And I've got a little bit of a trapped nerve, I think, in my neck. So I've got a fuzzy fuzzy down one arm. I'm just a little bit less tolerant of people. Yeah. <laughs> I'm maybe just a little bit more snappy. not just that when we're training the dogs we um you know we're asking them to do something that's pretty hard for them um being home alone and i think if there's pain if pain is an issue there it's it's like having a migraine and somebody says well i want you to do something really challenging like solve this maths problem it's it, you can't it's a lot harder when you've got some sort of pain issue than when you're feeling yourself. So that's mm. also an issue. Mm. So one of my dear friends, and I have to do a shout out for her because she is just phenomenal. So it's Gwen Covey Crump from Bristol University. Um, so she works for Langford Vets. Incredible. So she's a European specialist um, in anesthesia and analgesia. And she has a very strong chronic pain interest partly because she has such bad chronic pain herself. So she has numerous conditions like ankylosing spondylitis. She, I think she has ME. She has, oh, she has a myriad of chronic pain syndromes, which is quite common. And she was chatting to me the other day. And she said, do you know what? My cognitive capabilities are now being affected. I can't, mm. I go to work. I'm an anesthetist uh, and um. I need to be on game and my pain is affecting my ability to concentrate. It's, this is logical. We just, you know, come on. It, we can translate this over to animals quite easily, can't we? And it's that, I mean, when you think of dogs with separation anxiety, particularly ones who, you know, you, you leave the house and they, they run to the door and if you've got any kind of pain in hips or anything, every time you get up and run to the door, it's going to hurt. So then dogs being dogs put two and two together and go well they hurt when I move and I only move when you go out the front door ergo it must be you going that's causing the pain oh, they, they, yeah. they don't and you can't explain that to them can you it's, it's a whole different ball game so it definitely is in our best interest to spot that and do something about it so yeah, in the in the vein of of doing something about it I mean I've I've had friends and colleagues and and clients in the past that I've encouraged them to go to see vets and, and talk about pain trials so when they go see the vet and ask for some kind of trial or, or something with you know any pain medication what what really should they say any advice so, on that again I'm going to take you on a journey so you've got this <laughs> you're in a room okay so I'm I'm a vet in a room and it's normally like a shoe box isn't it and it's got a slippery floor and it's got a table in the middle mm. I don't know it's got a few little bits and bobs hanging around um, you've just had a really crappy morning where you've had quite a few grumpy owners come in um, and you've had a cat that's turned around and bitten your finger because you're just doing a vaccine. They're like, you know, the world's going on. The receptionists are like, you didn't report the bloods. 
oh, she's on the phone to me again. So you've got so many different areas, and you know you've got a list of subjects there as well. Um, and your lunchtime sandwich seems distant. So you've got this owner that comes in, and they're, they're, say, they're giving you all these vague bits of information, like morsels in a long, long story. And you're thinking to yourself, hmm, so this, maybe there is a bit of pain here, but do you know what? Do I really want to put this owner on a, a pain trial when I know that there is a potential, there could be an adverse event because anything that works could have an adverse event. Let's be honest about it. Any intervention that could do benefit could do harm. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. we're happy. So as a vet, you're going to sit there going, oh, God, <laughs> I can make the situation worse. So I think what the best advice for me is, when you go to your consultation, you really, really need to give that vet a fighting chance by giving them good information. You need to leave the children at home, put your mobile phone on silent. Yeah, don't get me wrong. The amount of consultations I have where an owner answers their mobile phone. What? what? Oh my God, it's, it's really common. And also- That's terrible. <laughs> well, I was showing uh, I, um, one of my friends one consultation I had, an eight-year-old child disappeared, okay? So there was three people that came into the room, two children, a lady, and a cat fox. And we were chatting, and seriously, one of these kids disappeared. It was a box room. And then we realized she was a contortionist, and she got into the cat fox at the age of eight. She managed to squeeze herself. I've got photos, proof. Wow. So leave the distractions at home, please. Come with prep. Come with the videos, come with the questionnaire filled in, which is on the website, you can use it. Give the vet the fighting chance and then say to them, I understand this is a very difficult situation. I fully appreciate that we can't be sure that there's an underlying pain component, but there's always that possibility it could be. I'm more than happy to try a pain relief trial. I know that this might be two to three months. Um, and I am willing to be very observant to see if we see benefit. Um, give them a window of opportunity. Mm. So I'm going to have to go and let pause out now. Tuesday, this is <laughs> my friend, I'm going to tell them how much their dog ruined this interview. Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> talking amongst yourselves. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, dear. So that's good that the information is there on the website so that you can fill things in to take to the vet. I think that's incredibly useful. Yes, awesome. Um, and if you yeah, can... and I think having something written down as a yeah. guide to, because I think sometimes when you go into the, the vet, like you, you have the list of questions or the list of observations in your mind, and then you get there and you just start babbling, you know? Yeah. So it's really <laughs> nice to have. You always um, forget something. Yeah, yeah, you always forget something and you maybe you're a little nervous, maybe your dog is a little bit nervous, maybe you both are. And so you're you're a little bit distracted, like Rowan gets nervous at the vet. So I'm always a little bit distracted by trying to manage what's going on with him. And so having that, um, those resources to kind of lean on and guide the, the conversation with your vet is, is invaluable, really. Yeah, definitely. It, re it really is. Like, um, I, I, can I just tangent just a little bit? Like, we've got a major crisis here in the UK because there is huge burnout in the vet industry where, you know, the pressures that are being put upon vets now to, to, to be the super vet, to be able to answer everybody's questions in an instant. We've got magical 
powers where we can read a dog's brain you know we're able to read the human brain the dog brain we're able to do all of this in 10 minutes prescribe you know diagnose prescribe write up the notes come on let's be realistic we're all human and i think going with good clear cut information really needs to be um promoted and established within the mm-hmm. client and it's, yeah, and it's and knowing I, it's knowing where to find that information as well that that's a mm-hmm. problem for a lot of owners because obviously it's the only time they speak to the vet is when they're under duress and when they're stressed and like you say at the minute particularly now with lockdown that we've had and with the pandemic and everything and with animals having to go to vets without owners and things so the it's a massively stressful event and you know if you don't know where to find the information to present to your vet and your vet's already, you know, everybody's stressed and everybody's under duress. And it's it's just it's just a um a bad um <laughs> a, a bad session waiting to happen, isn't it? It's so a it's, it's storm. Yeah. So it's, I mean, and the it's great that you as a vet are, you know, happy to come onto these podcasts and things like that and to and to be able to tell the average person, this is what you need to say to me, this is how you need to approach it, because this will make things better all around. I will know what you need you will be able to give me the information and together we can formulate a plan to do whatever we need to do on that particular day. So, you know, for that, Hannah, you know, thank you more than anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, no, and I also, it sounds awful, but you need to be, you need to kind of give the vet permission to to do something. Because seriously, the amount of times that I've been in a room where I can see the dog has what I believe is pain, chronic pain so they've got a postural change you can see physical changes with the coat you can see that the the way that the dog chooses to stand they're offloading you can see that there's been a chronicity to it because they've got maybe worn down nails or whatever it might be and you're like oh god this is a really chronic problem and the owner is so used to seeing it they don't they they just don't question anymore this is just aging and i'm like no and i'm thinking to myself the owner can't see it, but I need to treat it. And I know for me to get a really good, quick, effective treatment is going to be a medicine. Whether we choose to stay on medicines long-term, I know for me to get owner buy-in that there's a problem. I need to see, I need to flip a change quick. So I need to go have that dog that's slowing down and grumpy and he's not really interacting with family. I need that owner within 72 hours to go, do you know what? It's much more fun to be with. That's a <laughs> but a pharmaceutical is not a supplement. Supplements take months. A pharmaceutical and supplements can have adverse events as well. There is a small risk with them. And there is that fear that if the owner can't see pain, they don't think there's a problem. And I encourage them to go onto a pharmaceutical because I really want them to see what their dog could be but you can guarantee sort of law that dog might get loose stools and then they come back and go well do you know what within two days of you giving me that drug my dog's got the and and you're like oh god so you can understand from a vet's perspective they sometimes have to say to themselves "Is, is the dog actually okay because i the owner can't see a problem if i'm going to try and defeat it I shouldn't say this, but it's really hard. It's really, really hard being that person in the room, trying to do the best for the dog, get the owner on board. 
choose an intervention and you've only got 10 to 15 minutes in the worst environment that you could put a dog in ever. Um, so I would, I would, I want you to go in and give the vet permission. I want you to go in and say, I understand that this is difficult. You do not have a magic ball. You are not telepathic. And we are on a journey together. So let's go there. Let's try this. And I'm going to report into you because then the vet can go, well, this is my gut feeling is this, and this is what we're going to do. And let's chat again in two weeks, see how we're getting on. Yeah. Is that nice? <laughs> Boz is a bad, <laughs> bad dog to have on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? Is, this sounds like a dog drinking, but <laughs> let's go with you know, like just... background noise. You just can't write this. <laughs> oh goodness. Okay, so let's um, let's switch gears. Say that our um, we have um, worked with our vet and we're working through some pain management medications. And um, what are the other things that the pet parents can do, maybe at home, to set up the dog for success? Um, are there other things besides medication we should be doing with um loads. I, I saw loads. that was excited when I said that. I'm setting you up, girl. <laughs> oh, you set me up for this. Yeah, um, there's so much you can do. It's absolutely nuts. Um, first of all, I'm gonna do a blatant plug. Um, Cam has got these um, courses for owners that are these short learning journeys. We won't call them courses because that's really intimidating, isn't it? So there's one called Cam Essentials and it's 12 really short modules, 15 to 20 minutes, where you look at all the different areas that you can influence positively and help them with pain and function and get their independent mobility back. So if you're thinking, oh my God, she's speaking too fast. I want to know more information. There are resources that you can go to. But for, for pet parents and for trainers, right? There's a, oh, another yeah, 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 100%. So for pet parents, we have something called CAM Essentials or CAM Comprehensive. And for trainers, we have CAM Advocate Level 1 <clears throat> because we've got right. so much more to teach you. There's going to be Level 2 and Level 3. Right, fabulous. Yeah, so basically, when you're thinking about a dog that has chronic musculoskeletal pain, we have to fully accept that by the time that we pick up that there's a problem, it's pretty well established. And we're going to have a hell of a lot of um, chronicity to it. So they're going to have compensatory physical changes. They're going to have emotional changes. They're going to have cognitive changes. There's, there's, there's a lot has gone on before we, the mere humans, have gone, oh, you know, one of these things that he's been doing differently recently, that could be pain. Generally, by the time I have an owner that comes in with a dog with arthritis, it's end stage. That's how bad mm. it is. So these joints okay. are chronic. They don't move as well. This has been going on for years by the time we go, oh, there's a problem. So with that in mind, you've got to remember that there's so many other changes that have taken place, not just pain. So these dogs aren't just in pain, they've lost functional capability. They're gonna be weaker. They're more likely to trip, slip. They're not gonna have as great balance. They're not gonna have the same agility that they had. So one of the key things is looking at their lifestyle. And a classic kind of correlation, like a translation is, what about humans? 
So you, your grandma ain't going to be as agile as she used to be. So she might have a handrail to go upstairs. She might have a chair that's just more comfortable. She wears shoes that haven't got a high heel. And that all of these silly little things make her life more comfortable. And it doesn't exacerbate the disease. It doesn't flare it. It doesn't it like, you know, aggravate it. And we can do that for our dogs and it's free of charge, which is beautiful. So you're thinking about putting rugs down, making the bed more comfortable, um, having a ramp to get in and out of the car, wearing a harness so that you're not pulling on their neck, which is a compensatory zone, having a harness that you can support them. So it's got a little handle, um, loads and loads of things. My, my one that was a massive dawning for me, dogs stepping over thresholds. So they're coming from the garden into the house. Here in the UK, we have the classic PVC dog, um, the, the, the door frame. You know, the ones that they've got the little lip and step. If you watch dogs closely, as they become more debilitated, they lose that range of motion. So they don't have the ability to step over. They don't have the strength. They don't have the coordination. They don't actually have the range. So what they start to do is step on the step. Instead of stepping over, they step on the step and it's the slipperiest little bugger you ever. So you, they then slip off it and then that creates discomfort. And you see this in door thresholds, you see it steps, you see it on patios, you see it on um, decking. Decking's a classic. Decking is really slippery. So you could think about all of these things that you would do for an, a, an, a human that has musculoskeletal impairment and you can apply it to the dog and that's going to reduce their flares and it's going to reduce the progression obviously this isn't proven because how can you ever do a clinical study with enough dogs in a home environment but it's logical the next free of charge thing which is really a big thing is weight control we yeah. have an obesity epidemic it's huge and it's got to the point that people don't even know what a normal dog looks like you know what is a normal dog look like nope we just see fat ones <laughs> it's terrible <laughs> People have just accepted that as that's what the dog should look like. And fat is the worst thing you can do for arthritis. It's not only a mechanical load, it's also inflammatory mediators. And inflammatory mediators are petrol on a pain fire. So if your dog is carrying weight, the best thing you can do is get them onto a weight loss plan. So I've just given you two free of charge interventions. Next thing is um, actually exercise. Oh my God, it's another free of charge one. Here we go. So <laughs> what you do with your dog, if you've got joints that are unstable, they're painful to be used, they've got restricted range of motion, do you really want them to be being pushed to their limits with impact forces on a regular basis? No, you don't. So throwing balls, throwing um, frisbees, sticks, stones, all of that is just going to be the worst thing you could do to an unhappy joint and unhappy tissue. Oh my God. Okay. So I've just given you three game changers that are free of charge. And that's before you've even started adding supplements, medications, foods. So ah, there is so much you can do to make mm. you a lot have an amazing life. And it's just about embracing this is happening to your dog. What are your dog's objective measures? What are they showing you? Can I monitor them? What can I change? And uh, much I want to tell you, can't put it on. <laughs> <laughs> we um, need a longer think, podcast. Yeah. We need a longer podcast. <laughs> All right. 
Um, one thing that I see with people using rugs, just to kind of call it out there, is yes. um, making sure that you use a non-slip rug or a rubber-backed rug, because a rug is not helpful if it is slippery. No. <laughs> That's so true. Are you going to turn the houses into magic carpets? Have you seen that? Yes. So I had one yes. owner. This is a true story. Okay, so this is a really true story. So I went to this house and this poor dog had just had a forelimb amputation. So let's think about this. The dog carries 60% of their body weight on their forelimbs, 40% on their hind limbs. And you've just removed a limb in an acute situation. So this dog had had, I think it was a fracture that wasn't repairable. So this dog went from day naught having four limbs to day one having three limbs. The weight of 60% was on one forelimb. It was trying to learn to throw its weight and function back. So its back was involved and that curvature of the spine trying to bring those back legs into the point of gravity. And the owner wisely put towels all around the house on the floor thinking that they were going to offer traction so there were bathroom towels everywhere this is a true story and I was just like <laughs> oh my goodness it was horrendous and it was just like but the thing is what we have to understand is everybody has their strengths and they mm -hmm. like if you put of a car engine I'd probably try yeah. to put up liquid in the water section you know I'm stupid with that section of my life but when it comes to dogs I'm, I'm pretty good the same happens with our own as well so we have exactly. to be really good with them. give them give them a fighting chance put it in plain English or plain American or plain Australian <laughs> yeah you don't know what you don't know do you so you know no. in fairness yeah <laughs> so I take it she put down non-stick rugs after that she did thank God. but it was it was just like it was a worse design so this poor dog was having to go down a shingle path to get into the house so having to go up two front steps I had to negotiate quite a wide oak door frame it was a laminate floor in the hallway it was it's 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 just oh, too much now if only they could see what I'm doing with my hands. <laughs> it was just to me so logical, but for that poor owner, her dog had always been able. She just thought she'd he'd become a tripod able. Mm. And we and we love our shingle driveways over here, don't we, in the UK? Oh, I know. And and oh, I can't imagine what they must be like to walk on if you've got little paws, and especially if you're in no. pain. Exactly. I mean, the so difficult to walk on for me if my back's hurting never mind your dog it's like it's like oh ow, oh, ow. oh God. I know, but i think um i think i over the years i i'll fully admit it's almost like i'm leaving human society and just wanting to become a dog because there's so much <laughs> they're so they're so unbelievably loyal and kind and adaptable and oh it just pains me to have these dogs come in and they've got to the end of their ability to cope anymore. Mm. And I, I think that's, it's, it's tearful, isn't it? You know, they come in on a blanket when they just haven't got the ability to cope anymore. And if you say it like that, that's the worst thing we can do as loving dog owners. You know, mm. we be on it, way on it. 
Do you think there's um, any propensity towards, well, I'll try and, well, you know I'm going to say it, it towards any um, breeds or is it or bad breeding? Should oh, we say? yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to have a dog that hasn't got arthritis and won't get it, get a whippet. If you want to have a whippet. A whippet, yeah. <laughs> dog that's going to have problems for life, get a bulldog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or a pug. Or yeah. a rottweiler. Or a Labrador, or a Golden Retriever. <laughs> no, seriously, there's predilection. But um, the biggest um, sufferer of hip dysplasia is the pug. Right. And then, right. Yeah. And these dogs wiggle, it's because the prevalence of hip dysplasia is huge in the breed. And we just think that's normal now for that breed. That's disgusting, oh, isn't it? Bless them. So it's bad enough at the front end, and then they've got the back end as well. Oh, little Well, monster. the front end's pretty bad because the back end's wearing weight now. So, you know, when you see these little dog wiggles? Yeah. <laughs> no, there's a genetic component and there's for this breed predilection. So I think um, if I could ask you to watch one Facebook Live that Cam's done, um, it would have to be Mike Farrell. Uh, the, the title's Elbow Osteoarthritis. He's a, a, an incredible orthopedic surgeon and... He's becoming a good friend of mine because he's as blunt as I am. And he just says it as it is. And it's 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 potent. You probably won't hear it. But our wish to have a dog that looks how we want it to look. What are we actually really doing? Mm -hmm. so yeah. These these morphological changes on the outside of the body is going to create a morphological change on the inside of the body. And is that good? No. Not sad. Oh. It's really sad. It's it's selfish. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. <laughs> Let's not get started on that because let's step away from here because I'm gonna end up losing friends. <laughs> <laughs> There's the rabbit hole we don't want to go down today. Yeah. Um, no, it's a big rabbit hole. It is a big rabbit hole. But I do, I just think that we do need we do need to be kind of like cognitive of where these problems are coming from. Mm. Definitely. Scary. Yeah, so I mean I've I've I feel like I see more younger dogs with elbow problems and problems that I, I don't feel like I saw as much of a few years ago. But I mean that could be just bias or just because of the industry I'm in. I don't know. It's um I think people are more aware of it. I think people yeah. are I'm I'm really excited by the fact that I've I've seen change. In the last, can you believe this dog? It's just like a massive setup. He's now rolling. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, now I've seen amazing change in the industry in the last seven years. Like so, we've now got huge developments. We've got huge developments in diagnosis. So we've got stance analysis, force plate analysis, gait analysis. We have got um, huge improvement with treatment modalities. We've got the monoclonal antibodies. We've even got radioactive nucleotides. <laughs> it makes it, don't worry about it, Hannah. It's normally Nessie's dogs that are up to no good, and they're yeah. remarkably. Um, not might have been lot. quiet today for some yeah, reason. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you could see his face. He's staring at me so proud of himself. <laughs> um, yeah, so we've got amazing changes in treatment modalities. That's on the 
So we've got the monoclonal antibodies, which is an injection, which targets something called nerve growth factor, which is a key driver of pain creation in, in the outer body. You know, brain is, pain is in the brain, it's created in the outer body. We've got amazing modalities. We've got the development of extracorporeal shockwave therapy. We've got laser. We've got pulse electromagnetic field therapy. We've got these amazing intra-articular interventions such as hyaluronic acid, platelet-rich plasma, stem cells. Oh my God, your world for managing chronic musculoskeletal pain is expanding rapidly. What's missing is awareness and identification. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what we need to be doing. We need to be working collectively, allied professionals, owners, veterinary professionals of being able to identify the signs really early so that we have a myriad of interventions at our fingertips. Whereas at the moment, we seem to be picking up the signs really late and having these end stage diseases where people like me go, do you know what the kindest thing is to let go? And that's not cool. Mm. So if, if people suspect pain and speak with their vet and their vet um, doesn't specialize in that area or doesn't feel equipped to help them through that, what is the, the next step for pet parents? Okay, I think my honest answer is that it's hard to guide in this situation, but if you're talking to your veterinarian and you've given them all of the ability to do the right thing. So they, you've gone with your questionnaire and you can download it from the CAM website. You've taken your video clips, you've taken your photos, good quality. We don't want a five minute video clip where actually at two minutes, 43 seconds, he does the limp. That's not helpful. <laughs> yeah, really make it accessible for that vet and say to them, I believe there could be an underlying pain component here. Please, can you help me? And I accept that we might not find the answer straight off. We might have to do multiple consults. We might have to do pain med trials. We might have to do x-rays. If you still are hitting a brick wall, I have to say the best thing to do is either speak to practice management and say, I just don't feel like I'm getting anywhere with this friend's practice. Anybody else got an interest in pain management? Or you might even have to think about moving beds. And you are allowed to do that. This isn't the NHS. You aren't stuck to one doctor surgery. If you, if you are not receiving the attention that you need, then don't be shy of saying, I need to get a second opinion. Mm -hmm. So with all of those um, treatments that you listed, the, are those things that a specialist would do with your dog once diagnosed, or is that something that a um, your that would do with you or how, how does that work? So here in the UK, there is a wide variety of interventions that are available in first opinion practice. You might be in a local practice in the middle of nowhere where they, they have a anti-inflammatory, they have an adjunct pain relief and they have a supplement or a diet that they really believe in. And they might say to you weight loss and lifestyle adaption. Or you might find yourself being at a practice that has an in-house physiotherapist. They might have a hydrotherapist and they might have a laser or something like that. So there's a big spectrum of availability in the UK. And what CAM tries to do is teach owners of what is 
got evidence behind it as helping mm -hmm. and encourage them to ask questions. So I would like a CAM follower to go to their vet and say, hey, look, I've just listened to a Facebook Live um, at CAM and they were saying that, you know, laser might be an interventional or extracorporeal shockwave or um, injections of PRP. Is that something you could offer me? Um, no, that's fine that you don't do that. I'm totally cool with the fact that you don't do it. I understand why you don't do that. Is there anywhere that you could like put me in the right direction for? Would you refer me? Um, it's not a practice's fault not to stock these interventions because at the end of the day, for a practice to exist, they've got to have a business. And if right. they right. these extremely expensive interventions um, and don't use them, that's daft, isn't it? So. Mm -hmm. But it, I think it's, it's to do with communication at the end of the day, isn't it? Right, dog right. Communication in that the dog and the owner need to be like, ah, oh, you've got a problem, mate. I can help you. And then there's communication from the owner to the vet. Mm. And I think the insurance companies are catching up with this as well now, aren't they, with lots of treatments that you can get um, a payout on your insurance for, which, you know, five, ten years ago, you wouldn't have stood a chance. So it's no. always... Um, Mm. I got the best out of Pepman. I'm just going to tell you a little story. So my, <laughs> I managed to get Pepman bent over backwards because she not only had a liver tumour, and that cost £10,500, um, and then I used stem cells in her spine for lumbar sacral disease, which was three occasions of five grand. <laughs> so wow. wow. All of those premiums over the 16 years that I had her, it's, it's fine. It was totally worth <laughs> Yeah. And that's yeah. what it's there for. <laughs> insurance is there for it. And, and, and speak to your insurance company. Phone them up and just say, what do you cover? You know, mm -hmm. and most of them do complementary therapies such as hydrotherapy and physiotherapy. A lot of them will do intra-articular, so PRP. Some might do stem cells. Um, more of them are doing, um, say, shockwave therapy, laser. So you just need to kind of go, right, actually, um, I'm going to give them a ring. What am I entitled to? Is there anything you want, any parting comments or words of wisdom that you want to leave us with? I want to apologize for Foz. He didn't mean to start the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> He's ashamed of himself. He's in a corner now, feeling sorry no. for himself. Um, I would like, if I had one ability, I think I would like to give people the confidence to talk about this more so if you're seeing a family member's dog that's stiff if you're seeing a friend's dog that's struggling pipe up say something because you're that dog's advocate and it's not that owner's fault that they haven't acknowledged that there's a problem they just think it's normal mm. and you as the slightly more educated person has the ability to change that dog's life and that in turn will help change that owner's life. So please stop being shy of saying this is not normal. Let's get this investigated. Thanks for coming on the show. You were really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I was really blunt. I'm always blunt. I like blunt. I, I like blunt. We need, we need a picture of Foz as well. Mm -hmm. Oh gosh. My friends got so <laughs> proud of him that he absolutely ransacked. <laughs> We're not afraid of I'll send you, I'll send you a photo of Foz and he's all glory. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. So um, the Facebook group has a ton, a ton, a ton of um, awesome Facebook lives. So good. I mean, you guys are always hosting really top-notch people on there. So that is impressive. If um, So I would encourage our listeners to check that out as well as all of the um, resources on the CAM website. Um, and mm-hmm. if you're really interested um, in learning more to take one of the, you didn't call them courses, what did you call them? Okay, so learning journeys. So if learning you're journeys, yes. Learning journey. Oh no, it's a learning journey because a course sounds a little bit intimidating, doesn't it? Well, and then- it's a little stuffy and you're not the stuffy type, so. <laughs> no, I'm not stuffy. Um, so yeah, there's, 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 they're cool, they're fun, they're lighthearted. I'm, I'm at my worst, you know, I try to kind of keep engaging. And then um, if you're a canine professional and you're wanting to take some, um, something forth and, you know, incorporate it into your work, be you a dog sitter, a dog walker, you know, whatever you do, then Cam Advocate is the course for you. Okay. Fabulous. Well, thank you for having me. Yes, of course. We've, we've enjoyed it. We've enjoyed yeah. it. So informative. Mm-hmm. I've been dead excited. We've so been looking forward course. to it. Well, look, guys, you know, if there's anything that I can ever do for you guys, you know, just, just give us a shout. Um, you can get me on info at canineartwriters.co.uk. Um, we're always looking for um, you know people to step forward. We've got this amazing group of people called the Cambassadors. And these are dog owners or canine professionals that have, they've received benefit from following CAM. They've, they've, they've changed their life and their dog's life and they now want to give back and help others. So if you think, oh my God, this is something that I want to be part of and I want to go on a learning journey, but I want to be in a team of really beautiful people, that's the Cambassadors. Um, but if you've, if, if you've got anything to kind of like bring to the table, just get in touch with me. Well, that was a fantastic episode. So thank you, thank you, Hannah, for coming to join us on Tales from the Dog House. Oh, there goes Nessie's dog. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry up. Hurry up. So we've had we've had Hannah as a guest, um, and we've had Falls as a guest, and now we've got um which one's that, Ness? That's Mr. B. <laughs> Mr. B is also now here as a guest, and of course Rowan's tail in the background. Um so Hannah's very kindly told us all about her website and um, all about canine arthritis management and one of the things to look out for in our separation anxiety dogs is change. Change being the key word all across the board. So any change in behaviour, any change in the way that they move, uh, in the way that they you know live their life, that, that's something to keep an eye on. And arthritis isn't just for older dogs, it also affects younger dogs as well. So if you want to know anything, take a look at Hannah's website. We'll put all the links on the show notes. You've been listening to me, Sarah McLaren, from the UK, from Separation Anxiety Solutions. You can find me on Instagram and on Facebook and on my website, www.separationanxietysolutions.com. And I am Stacey Bell in the U.S. at Focused Fun Dogs on Facebook and Instagram. And my website is focusedfun.net. 
and I'm Miss Jones. I am in Australia. I'm being driven on by a dog, which is lovely. Um, I am from Separation Anxiety and Dogs Decoded. You have been listening to Tales from the Dog House Separation Anxiety Explained. You can find us on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Audible, and all sorts of other great listening apps. Uh, so please like, share, etc., etc., with your friends. And we thank you again so much, Hannah. It's been amazing talking to you. And uh, we'll see you, hear you, see you guys next week. We'll be back. Bye. 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 Bye.